kidnapping. I'll give you my kids right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Hey everyone, welcome back. Hope you're doing well and uh, ready for the holidays. I'm going to get right into it. I made a promise to you and I was burning the midnight oil last night to get this episode done and like UPS, I deliver. <laughs> but uh, I'm still in my pajamas and my hair's a mess. So uh, good thing this isn't on video because it's not pretty. Um, before we dive in, I want to wish everyone a safe and Merry Christmas and hopefully you're able to spend it with your loved ones and brings you a lot of joy this this holiday season. Um, also, a Happy New Year. We'll see you on the other side for 2021. It's crazy I'm saying that. And now, our guest that needs no introduction, if you listened to the previous episode. If not, go back and listen to it. Ryan Gershner of Prime Insurance Agency is back, and we are talking homeowners insurance today. And with that, here's my interview with Ryan. All right, he's back. Ryan Gerstner. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yep, Gerstner or Gerstner. Or, okay. I don't, you know, I honestly don't even, don't even know, but I mean, if you look at the spelling, it's you would think Gerstner, and I don't know if people just got mush mouth or what. And most people say Gerstner, but it's totally not spelled that way. Okay. I, you know, I've known you for a number of years and I just go, I just call you Ryan. So my apologies. (laughs) Whatever you say, I I promise you I've heard worse. I (laughs) playing high school football, you know, and it's like, you know, you'd be on the TV highlights or something and you may pronounce your name and it's like, holy cow, where did they come up with that? Like, that's not even close to the spelling. (laughs) TV highlights. uh, Yeah. You made it, made it better than I did. So yeah, I, uh, I had a couple nice plays along the way. <laughs> what what'd you play? Played running back and corner. Oh, okay. Awesome. So that's I, the uh, <clears throat> joy of small town football. You get to play on both sides of the ball if you're halfway decent. Was that uh was that eight man? No, we were we were eleven. Okay, okay. Smallest smallest class of eleven man football in Kansas. One A, two A combined, you know. I always I always like to tease my big school friends you know there's only 32 i think uh 6a schools in kansas and then you know 1a we had gosh like 130 or 40 you know teams so so way way different beast yeah yeah i so on the flip side of that manhattan high this sort of i don't know if it was still the case when i was in high school but uh at one point it was the largest 6a high school in the state of kansas so I know yeah. 90, 98, I think, was um, that year. I don't know. but I always heard Manhattan always kind of fought splitting off, you know, like back when Lawrence split, you know, yeah. they, you know, they, they were always a powerhouse. And then they kind of tanked for a few years. And then since then, they've kind of built it back where both of their schools are pretty good. Yeah, because I, I think that was about the time that they um, they had free state and split Lawrence High. So, yep. but uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my, my, I was never fast and I wasn't very big. So my challenge was, was I didn't fit in very well on the football field. <laughs> um, I, I joke with people. Um, I, I wanted to play quarterback, but our high school football coach told me I was 
too fat and slow and, and, uh, uh, and short <laughs> to play quarterback. So, um, crushed my dreams. So, yeah, um, that working for you, but yeah, but I wasn't big enough to play line. So I, I played center growing up, but, uh, I didn't grow up like the rest of them. So then it turned into a defensive line and, uh, and I made a little stint my senior year playing tight end, my one catch for one yard. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I was say, you should have transferred out to one of the smaller schools around me now. Yeah, yeah. So, been like yeah. Uh, Jordy Nelson or John McGraw out there. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I don't think I uh, uh, could compare to that. So, yeah, they're <laughs> all stars. No, I'm a uh, interim co head coaching my son's YMCA flag football team. <laughs> So since we last met, uh, he, my oldest, he's, uh, he's playing flag football and, uh, they're playing up there at the challenger field, um, the YMCA facility up there. And they had their first game this past Saturday and Friday night, the coach texted the, the team saying that, she, uh, they were quarantining cause her child was exposed, and so they needed somebody to coach the team. <laughs> so uh, me and a few other guys uh, are interim head flag football coaches for a K and first grade team. <laughs> so, turn it around, huh? Yeah, yeah, you know. So, yeah. So, uh, um, welcome back. Congratulations, you're you're our first repeat guest. It's it's kind of like a Michael Jordan, I'm back. Um, I get a trophy or anything for that? An award, certificate? <laughs> frame in my office? I'll, I'll see what I can put together. So, Scott, uh, speaking of Jordan, did you watch The Last Dance? I did. That yeah. was awesome. That was phenomenal. That, that was nostalgic. I, I loved it. I loved the fact that they had so much video from back in the day, you know. And, you know, for me, like I was just starting college around that time. You know, so to see all the stuff that I'd kind of missed at the time was really cool. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, so I was, um, in my younger years, uh, what, what, I was kind of in the grade, grade school, middle school area during that time. And, uh, I was actually a Charles Barkley fan. Yay. That's my boy right there. Yeah. Sir Charles. Charles is my all time favorite basketball player. Like no okay. joke. Like okay. Charles, like, you know, and it's funny, I, you know, growing up, I read the sports page religiously and I always read the Topeka paper because they did a great job, you know, covering high school sports and everything else. But they always did something in there called the last word. And it just seemed like they always had some Charles Barkley quotes and it caught my eye. And I'm like, this guy is hilarious. And so and I kind of felt like at the time, like everybody loved Jordan you know, and I'm like, well, he's got enough fans. So I, so I decided I was a Charles Barkley fan. And so, so literally, you know, probably from the early nineties on maybe even late eighties, I was a big Charles Barkley fan. And it got to the point, you know, by like later in his career, like every time I thought it might get to like his last game, like, like I would try to record it just in case it was the last time Barkley ever played. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. No, I'm, I, we're on the same wavelength. Cause I, I, uh, I wasn't a huge Jordan fan. I was kind of a, you know, always, I don't want to say anti-Jordan, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I cheered for Barkley in those matchups. I was a big Charles fan. I had his jersey yeah. and 
rocked his shoes. I bought multiple. I, I, yeah, my, my, uh, parents bought me multiple pairs of his shoes. So yeah. Yeah. I, was, I, I actually got a Barkley Jersey. I, I may still have it in the closet, like a Barkley Suns Jersey. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what drew him to me. Um, maybe it was the Sir Charles or the purple cause it was K state colors, but yeah, I, was, I was a Barkley <laughs> fan. It was not that for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I just admired, like, I think the way he played because he was undersized and I just felt like he outworked guys and yeah. funny. Like, I don't know. He, neat, neat guy. Gave us uh, big guys uh, some hope. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, um, check out that trap music, Christmas trap music. Since we no. last you got to check that out. So we're, we're jamming out to that at our household. Um, what, what about, uh, you find a PlayStation five yet? I did. Hey, I'm, I'm actually expecting it like literally any minute, like (laughs) walking into my office with it. So Uh, I'm I'm hoping it doesn't get stolen or something, but, but yeah, I got it online at uh, Costco somehow. And I kept thinking like, oh, they're going to email me today and tell me it was canceled or they've sold too many, but but allegedly it's been shipped. So I I'm expecting it any minute, literally. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna have to put that in a safe or something. I know. Um, I'm trying to think about where do you, where do you hide that? <laughs> don't leave it in the car. Yeah. Then you're going to be calling your insurance agent. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to be so. able to do much, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, cool. Hey, um, so we wanted to bring you back on, um, had a kind of full lineup, last time with auto insurance and uh, great discussion about that. And also, you know, wanted to hit on homeowners insurance. And so uh, kind of recording this part two, if you will. Um, and uh, just kind of wanted to dive into that and, and talk about, you know, what we need to know about getting homeowners insurance. So um, I guess first, you know, First, first of all, why do we why do we need homeowners insurance in the first place? Well, you know, unless you're insanely rich, you know, most of us don't have the money lying around to replace our house. You know, should we have a loss? And you know, believe it or not, like total losses happen. You know, we have fires burn houses down, tornadoes come through. Um, you know, we may be a theft victim. You know, pipes burst. You know, it's crazy. You know, I've heard of stories, you know, where, you know, somebody has a leak in their house and they've gone away, you know, on a vacation for, you know, week, week and a half and, and nobody's checked on the house in that time period and water's continued to leak. And like, literally the floor has dropped through. I mean, just crazy stuff like that, where like, you know, you, like, you know, a normal, you know, water leak, you sit there and think like, well, 20, 30,000 ought to cover that. And then, nobody sees it. And all of a sudden, like that loss is several hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, even wealthy people like, like that's a big bite to chew, you know, if you didn't have some sort of insurance. To your point, and what we talked about earlier, it's transferring risk. And for most people, their home is the largest asset that they own. Um, It's kind of the biggest piece of their financial pie. In most cases, Um, especially, especially those that are um, younger, just starting out and they've bought their first home, 
I mean, most of the time when you have a mortgage, it's required by the, yeah. the mortgage company anyways. So, um, and I know they'll require you to have homeowner's insurance, but you're not required to get it from them. Yeah. You, you know, depending, depending, you know, because if most mortgage companies, if they think you don't have it, they will force place it on you to make sure their interest is protected. And that coverage like literally is going to cover the loan amount. So hopefully you have equity in your house. So, so you should have something at risk there. So you really need to have your own policy that, you know, that covers you thoroughly, but usually the force placed insurance from the mortgage lender, if they put it, put it in place, like it's going to cover the loan and, you know, and, and that's it. It's usually pretty limited coverage. So if you have a loss, like it's not going to protect you, it's going to protect their loan. I guess. So if you don't have a mortgage, um, I, I've, know someone uh, personally that um, didn't have a mortgage on the house, let their homeowner's insurance lapse, and then their house caught fire and burned down. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, there's, and that's why we, that's why this is so important because, you know, just, I mean, what's typical um, premium, you know, anywhere from a thousand on up, it varies, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, annually a thousand, two thousand dollars a year replaces your largest asset if something like that happens. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's definitely affordable. Well, well worth the risk. And you know, and if you look at what just construction costs are running now, I mean, I know a lot of times like everybody kind of has a thought in mind, you know, on how much they think their home's worth. But a lot of times, like you know, unless you're in the market for a new home people just don't realize how expensive new homes have gotten, you know, like in some ways the size has started to come back a little bit, but the cost has stayed high. It's, you know, it's it, it, like, it's shocking. I, cause I, you know, I do like, I have these conversations with people all the time. Like, well, I, I just want to insure my house for what it's worth. You know, I don't want to insure what the insurance company says it's worth. And it's like, <laughs> you know, the thing people don't realize is, is like, it, you know, you're insuring insuring the house to be rebuilt and it also has to pay to remove the debris, you know, after a loss. And it's expensive, like it's expensive to do that. Like it, it, it's shocking, you know, like for example, just in the month of August this year, lumber costs spike 30%, you know, and I was talking to a home builder friend of mine and, you know, his typical home that he builds, which is probably, you know, in that three to $400,000 range, it was like, his cost just from lumber alone went up $32,000, you know, you know, and so it's, you know, you've got to have a policy that covers you for replacement. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, I see what homes in my neighborhood went for, you know, 15 years ago and 10 years ago. And and I see what they're going for now. And it's just like, you know, you sit there like, man, I can't believe people are paying that much for a house, but it's literally, it's because that's what it costs. And so I, I think that's kind of a big takeaway here is um, identifying that your insurance coverage, it's not what the market value, not what someone is willing to pay for your house is, is not what we're insuring it for. It's what does it cost to replace the house? Um, and so maybe you can talk about the difference of that because uh, replacement cost, it's not what your house is selling for. It's what does the materials, the, the labor um, that it costs to rebuild your house? 
that's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then the other thing that people got to keep in mind is, is like a lot of times after, you know, a total loss, when you're putting the house back, it may not be your original home builder, you know, putting it back. And not only that, you know, most home builders are building multiple houses at the same time. So they're building, getting some, you know, efficiencies and they're purchasing mm-hmm. that all of a sudden, you know, you're putting this house back in a one-off and it's, it's a lot more expensive just to do, you know, and put it back. So your insurance company is going to use a, you know, they use professional vendors that keep up with what, you know, materials are costing, what labor's costing, you know, around the country, It'd be somebody like a Marshall Swift back or somebody like that. And every company may tweak the model a little bit, but, but these are just kind of like rough estimates, you know, what they think your house is going to cost to rebuild. So I would tell you, like, if, if you think it's off, you know, I mean, usually you can't drop it down too much unless your, insur- unless your insurance agent has just made a mistake. You know, one of the common mistakes I see, you know, for example, like, you know, we may look at Zillow when we're looking up to see how many square feet your house is. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, like if you're looking at your realtor sites or Zillow, they want your house to look as big as possible. So they lump the square footage of your basement in with the square footage. Like you don't want to do that. Like it really needs to be in your main level square foot and anything that's like vertical. So if you've got a two story or one and a half, like, you know, it's your main level and the upstairs, you know, that's your square footage. The basement is a completely separate calculation. And a lot of it is, is basements are less expensive to put in, you know, than your vertical square footage. Because if you end up lumping it in, what happens is, is it does, you know, if you have an extra, say, 1,000 or 1,500 square feet in your basement that gets lumped into your square footage, I mean, you're going to inflate the cost of your home, you know, another couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, and then you're paying the insurance on that. Yeah. So essentially, you're you're over-insuring yourself and, and paying unnecessary higher premiums. Exactly. Yeah. And then things don't always get caught at the insurance company level because there's different levels of finish, you know, that you can have for your basement and your kitchen. You know, maybe you have a bar in your basement or a wine cellar or, or whatever. <clears throat> you know, some of those things can inflate the cost. So it didn't always, you know, you know, get caught. So that's why you got to have an agent that pays attention to those things and says, hey, is this kind of within the range of what we're seeing, you know, for that kind of house? Okay. So, yeah. I guess that's a that brings up a good point. If you do any um, remodeling to the house where you're improving it, uh, you know, redoing the kitchen, and how should we approach that when it comes to um, the replacement cost of the house? So it may not change change it a whole lot because if you sit there and you think about it, like when you put the house back, it's going to be put in new, and so when you're remodeling the kitchen, like you're essentially putting it in new. But on the other hand, let's say you have an unfinished basement and you finish out your basement. Now, all of a sudden, like, I mean, that does need to be taken into account because you've got more finished space than what you had before. And so your agent does need to know that. Or like I've had clients have literally added onto their house, put a new room on the house, you know, or they've expanded their deck or something like that. Those sorts of things may, you know, make a little bit, you know, of a difference and, and they should update, you know, update your rebuild estimate, you know, for that custom-made wine cellar in my kitchen (laughs) (laughs) so no um so let's let's uh 
go back a little bit and just talk about what sort of things homeowners insurance typically protects our home from um, versus what it doesn't cover. Because I think there's maybe some, maybe it's not always clear. Maybe everyone doesn't always have a clear understanding of what it does cover and what it doesn't cover. So, I, I mean, you know, some of the obvious things that, you know, we always think about is like wind and hail, you know, your tornadoes, obviously those sorts of things are covered, you know, fire, um, you know, water damage. I will tell you with water, like it's a fine line um, on those policies and how it's covered. So usually most insurance policies will say something along the lines of sudden and accidental. So let's say you have like, you know, a slow drip or a leak behind a wall or something like that. Like, and if you, if you kind of see something like that, make sure you get on it right away because if an insurance company thinks that you knew about it and ignored it and the loss got bigger because you ignored it, like there's probably language in the policy where they can maybe try to get out of paying on it and they could deny the claim and, and you definitely don't want that. Yeah. You know, um, so, but you know, things like pipe bursts and things like that, those are, those are pretty obvious, you know, or you're not gonna have to worry about that as much. Um, you know, that, you know, theft coverage, you know, vandalism, you know, you want coverage for like weight of ice and snow, you know, you've probably heard of like ice dams in the winter. Um, and you know, with winter, you know, you know, coming in here, you know, full force here pretty quick. Um, you know, definitely pay attention, you know, to your pipes. You know, if you've got pipes on the outside of your house, like a lot of times, like there's tape you can put on them that it helps insulate mm-hmm. them. You know, don't leave your garage doors open. I know a lot of us like to leave our garage doors open, but when it's like super cold out, you know, like, you know, say below 10 degrees or something, like you can put yourself at risk for a pipe bursting. Um, if you go on vacation, don't turn your thermostat down too low because some of those pipes that are on the edge of the house, like, they may get to the point where they can freeze and burst. So, you know, those are kind of some common sense things that, you know, we don't always, you know, think about, um, you know, where you could prevent a loss because, I mean, yeah, your insurance is gonna cover most of it, but, you know, at the same time, like, you know, you're still at your deductible, you know, and so you can save some money. Yeah, I'm one of those that uh, when they go on vacation, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about, what's going on back at the house. Like, did we leave, you know, um, our toilets, uh, sometimes run. And so you gotta, you know, jiggle the handle. And I'm like, you know, back in my mind, things like that are going on. Is my house, flooding? <laughs> Is my house on fire. Fortunately, we've got one of those, uh, simply safe cams and I'm able to check in on, on the house and the dogs. So, um, yeah, no, that's definitely nice. Um, well, you know, one of the new little, like, you know, you talk about smart home stuff, new devices is like Notion. Um, it'll connect to your Wi-Fi and it will sense water. And like, you know, for example, I have one insurance company I represent called Hippo. And okay. they include that for their for their customers. Like they get a free Notion device and they get discounted for using it. And from the insurance company standpoint, like their logic is, is by having that device in the house that... You know, if there's a, like a water leak, like that device is going to sense it and it's going to save a major loss. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. But you don't have to be a hippo client to get it. Like, I mean, you could just go out and get a notion device on your own. Okay. I haven't heard of notion. I know simply safe has, um, water sensors. I don't know if that's the same thing or, or different yes. type yep. of tech. Okay. Okay. Um, asking for a friend. So if a toilet backs up, 
Um, say you have a uh, five or a three-year-old that likes to put a lot of toilet paper there and uh, they flush and uh, it floods your you know, basement, your bathroom, everything above. Is that covered or is that going to be on um, additional um, riders options that you include on, on your policy? So, so yeah, so you, you definitely need to have your water sewer backup endorsement on your policy. Um, you know, that's definitely something that might come into play, you know, in okay. a situation like that. And I, I, I tell you, like, I would say most insurance policies I see nowadays have it on it, but I have seen some insurance, you know, insurance agents won't put that on the policy because they're just trying to be more competitive on a rate standpoint. Gotcha. And so you, you definitely want to have it. Like I would tell you kind of from what I'm seeing, like, like, I mean, let's say you have an unfinished basement, you know, have the water and water back up in the house like that. Like, you know, it seems like just cleanup alone kind of approaches that $5,000 range, you know? So if you have a finished basement and might have other damage, like you're going to need a higher limit than that. Okay. You know, there. But it, it like really, I think every home policy should have water sewer backup coverage on there. The other reason you might want to have that on there is it'll cover you if your sump pump fails for you. Like, you know, sometimes we, you know, particularly around here in Kansas City, you know, we go through periods of time where we get a lot of rain. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, like, you know, I've had clients where their sump pump malfunctioned, doesn't work, can't handle, there's too much water, whatever, and your basement floods. Like, that's a way to pick up coverage for water damage in your basement, you know, versus like, because I know a lot of times, like, you know, some of us just have, you know, old foundations and water comes through the cracks. Like there's really no coverage you can buy for that. So kind of your one chance to maybe get coverage is to have a water sewer backup endorsement. And then, you know, if your sump pump didn't work or something like that, you know, you might be able to pick up some coverage, but, but, but that's, those are kind of the tough situations that, you know, we kind of hate having that conversation, you know, with clients. And it's like, yeah, that's probably not, covered you know if it's just coming through the cracks you know you got to determine the source but but yeah but when you're in the process of buying a house like that's something to pay attention to you know you know does the basement take on water you know and that can cause foundation problems as well you know your normal foundation problems like that's something insurance is not going to cover you know it's it's considered like maintenance or wear and tear on the home and anytime like, you know, maintenance items or wear and tear items, like those are considered, you know, a homeowner's responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of segues into, so what doesn't homeowner's insurance cover typically speaking, or what do you have to have, um, additional, additional add-ons to your policy for? Yeah. So some of the other things you need to do besides maintain your home, um, <laughs> you know, like flood, you know, flood insurance is not provided in a homeowner's policy. So if you want coverage for flood, like that's a completely separate policy that you need to buy. Um, there's a federal flood insurance program and oftentimes you see it in the news almost every year that Congress is squabbling about whether they're going to fund it or not, but yeah, usually eventually they do. Um, but you know, we're starting to see flood insurance get more expensive. So if you're in any sort of, you know, real risk of a flood, like it can get, it can get pretty expensive. 
Um, sometimes there's private insurers that will do it maybe more reasonably. Um, you really just got to kind of shop around on it. But, you know, any insurance agent should be able to get you flood insurance if you really need it. What um, what is flood insurance like compared to your, your typical homeowner's policy? How does that what is the cost of that look like? So I would just tell you just kind of what I've seen using the federal flood insurance program for what I've seen from a rate standpoint. Like if you're in basically a no risk area, like like not in a floodplain and you just want the protection, like I would tell you probably looking at ballpark 500, maybe 600 bucks a year for like no risk. And okay. then like if you're in maybe one of the least risks area, like maybe like, I don't know, 100 plus year floodplain or something like oftentimes I, I can see the rate pretty quickly jump up to a couple thousand, you know, uh, okay. And so, you, and that's in addition to your regular homeowner's coverage. So, so I would tell you if you're buying a house and it's in a floodplain and keep in mind, like the FEMA flood maps, they can change. Like, so you might buy a house and not have it in a floodplain and then you go to sell and your mortgage company will do a, a flood search to see if you're in a floodplain. And if you are, they'll say, okay, Kyle, well, you got to buy flood insurance on the house if we're going to do a mortgage on it. And, and if that's the case, you'll have to buy that policy as well. So it's something to pay attention to. Um, the other thing, some flood policies are assumable. So let's say whoever you're buying the house from already had flood insurance and then maybe it's an older policy and maybe it's more affordable. Sometimes it's assumable. So that's something worth checking into or at least having your realtor ask the question and see, because sometimes that's a way to get it more cost effective. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I, flood insurance is not something to take to take lightly because you don't want to be in a situation where all of a sudden like you have a really hard time selling your house because you know the cost of flood insurance somebody thinks is too high and now all of a sudden they don't want to buy your house anymore yeah okay uh, yeah that is interesting yeah fl flood insurance definitely opens a can of worms now is there things that can be considered a flood even if you're not in a floodplain so I don't know, a window breaks in your house and it's pouring rain. Yeah. Yeah. Like and that, it, it's, that it comes in. I mean, what? Yeah, that would not be, um, but like surface water, you know, so I don't know, you know, maybe a drain or something, the city sewers get, you know, plugged or overflow, overloaded. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're at the low end of a cul-de-sac or something and a bunch okay. of water comes into your house that way like that could be a flood loss okay uh, but but yeah otherwise it's probably going to be the more typical situations of flood that you think of um you know one thing to consider and you know we had talked about it ahead of time you know back in the flood in 93 mm -hmm. it's like let's say you're not really in a flood plane or you didn't have to have flood insurance and you decide you want it well, because like, let's say, we, you know, we're getting a lot of rain, all of a sudden, you know, the river's coming up and maybe it wasn't something you were too concerned about or you've paid your house off and all of a sudden you want to get it. Something to keep in mind on flood insurance is, is it takes 30 days before it takes effect. So yeah, it's not something that you sit there like, well, I'll, you know, if I see a lot of rain, then I'll worry about it then and I'll get it like, you know, because 30 days is a, a, is a while and it might be too long to protect you. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess something that kind of comes to mind to me is the river in Parkville. We like old Parkville um, yeah, over there, English Landing. 
Mm -hmm. beautiful beautiful down there that park is awesome um but it floods all the time and i I know they have flood Mm -hmm. issues there and it's i guess kind of to your point it's not something you can see well the river is rising and there's rain in the forecast you know (laughs) for the next week let's try to slap this on here um that's you're saying that's not something you can do it it takes some time to get that implemented so um Anything else we should be aware of? Uh, you know, earthquakes. Yeah, definitely earthquake. That's an endorsement on your policy um, that you can add. Um, yeah. And generally, it's not a big deal to add around the Kansas City area. But I would tell you, you know, if you're down in you know southeastern Missouri near the Boot Heel, like you know, that's a high risk area. It can it can be difficult to procure flood and, or uh, earthquake insurance down there, and it can be. Okay. So the closer you are to the eastern side of the state, it's a bigger deal um, versus like Kansas City, you know, we're a lower risk area. So it's pretty easy to get earthquake. And the other thing to consider is, is your deductible. Um, deductibles are higher. Like usually the least deductible I've seen around here is 5%, but okay. it can be 10, 15, 20%. So for example, if your home is insured for 300,000 and you have a 20% deductible, like, well, that's $60,000. Yeah. You know, so you're going to have to take a pretty big hit before that protection is really going to kick in for you. So so does that make sense in most cases, I guess? That seems like a big chunk of change. Yeah, I, I think you just got to look at it. Like, I, based on the information I have seen, like, I have just not seen any information that really, like, makes me think that Kansas City is, like, a high-risk area or an area where we could yeah. take a hit. Like, I think if I had seen some material on that, then then yeah, I would probably consider it. You know, we've all felt the tremors here from like Oklahoma or Southern Kansas, you know, from the fracking and all that, you know, yeah. and you look up and you see your light shaking and it kind of unnerves you a little bit, but but that also doesn't collapse your house. Yeah, that's you know? my, did I ever tell you my uh, my grandparents, uh, mom and pop, is what we call them. We call them mom and pop because uh, when we were born, they said we're too young to be grandma and grandpa, so. <laughs> but uh, they owned their own independent insurance agency down in Anthony, Kansas. Um, and so they, they, they were always in the know on um, insurance. And I remember uh, my mom was always uh, um, having that special endorsement for earthquakes on her policy because of the fracking in the last few years down in Wichita. And they, yeah. they had tremors from it. And um, But yeah, so... I don't think those are actually going to do serious damage, but yeah, at least not not here. But yeah, something more about it. I'm I'm certainly all ears. I just haven't seen it, and I try to kind of read as much as I can. But I just I don't yeah, know I've seen it. Yeah. So, um, but other coverage you should look at. Um, something that's pretty new is uh, utility line coverage or service line coverage. You know, if if any of you live in Kansas City proper, you get a letter from the city about every two weeks trying to sell you a warranty (laughs) (laughs) sewer line because i mean it is a point of hardship for a lot of people that don't realize that hey you're responsible for the sewer line between your home and the street Mm -hmm. so you know it can be you know five ten thousand dollars to replace one of those which there's plenty of people that don't have that kind of money lying around and so it so it's a lot easier for them to go say, hey, go buy this warranty plan for whatever, whatever it is, seven, 10 bucks a month. Um, but just here in the last year or two, a lot of insurance companies now offer the coverage on your homeowner's policy. 
So it's definitely something worthwhile to ask your agent about and see if it's something that they offer or if, if they offer multiple companies, say, hey, can you put me with a company that offers it? It's, it can be pre it can be pretty reasonable, you know, 30, 40 bucks a year with some companies, some a little more. But OK, okay. But it's, it's a good way to, you know, protect you and make sure you've got, you know, you got coverage if something happens. And and I would tell you, like, you know, the older of an area you're in or with older mature trees, you know, sometimes it's a tree root or something that'll do damage to, you know, the sewer line. Like, you know, you definitely you definitely have more risk, you know, from, you know, needing a major repair you know, versus if you're in a brand new neighborhood that where everything's just brand new right now. Yeah, because my understanding, the time period when, so we live in a house that was built in 1960. And so um, I think if I'm thinking about this correctly, we're kind of, you're dealing with clay pipes, especially before that time period, clay pipes and um, having, having those collapse on you and tree roots getting into them and, um, yeah, causing all sorts of problems. Whereas new development, it's it's uh, the PVC pipes and less of an issue with. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's definitely something worthwhile to look into. Um, something else to look into if you're in an older home is looking at the ordinance or law coverage on your policy. And basically that just happens to deal with um, basically updates in the building code over the years. You know, things that you know, builders could do, you know, say 50 years ago, maybe the code doesn't allow them to do it that way today. And it okay. causes increased costs. And so, you know, most homeowners policies are going to give you 10%, but that may not be enough. And, you know, kind of a simple example, that's not the case today, but like, let's just say all of a sudden, you know, your city says, hey, if you have a new home built, you know, you have to have a sprinkler system put in, you know, to put out any fire, you know, as an example. And obviously that wasn't the case when our homes were built and that increased cost wouldn't be covered, you know, unless you had the ordinance or law coverage, you know, so, so we're talking about a situation where the city would all of a sudden say, Hey, this is what our code requires now, even though it wasn't required previously. Okay. So, so something like that, you know, it's like important, you know, I, I think otherwise it's just other more technical things that, you know, builders would know that, you know, I don't deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But that, that's definitely an important coverage to maybe have your limits boosted. Um, if you live, live in a homeowners association, which a lot of us do, uh, look at your loss assessment coverage. You know, like maybe there's a big liability claim on the property and the HOA gets, gets sued and they don't have enough coverage. And so they assess all the homeowners. Um, your loss assessment can pay for that. Okay. Okay. So that's, so that's definitely useful. So... I know there's different types of homeowners policies out there. And so maybe talk about what's the right homeowner policy for me. Yeah. So, so definitely in a situation for like for you, like if you're in a well-maintained home, like, like I always recommend replacement cost coverage. Um, you know, your other main type of coverage is actual cash value of which, you know, if you, if at claim time, you're going to have an adjuster that comes out, that's going to depreciate, He's going to start at what the cost, what the house would cost to replace. And then he's going to make a judgment call based on what he thinks the condition was at the time of loss. And he's going to depreciate it down. And then that's what the policy would pay out less your deductible. So the you thing I want, <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want that, you know, because 
the thing is, is most losses, most, most homes aren't total losses. Um, you know, and so you're gonna have a partial loss or it's going to be happy in something like your roof, you know, so all of a sudden if your roof's a little bit older, you know, let's say it's 15, 20 years old and wearing out and you have actual cash value on it. It's like all of a sudden at the time of loss, like most of the loss is going to be on you, you know, because, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, let's say it's $15,000 to replace your roof. And they, and they've said, okay, well, you know, let's say half the life of it's gone conservatively. Right. So there's, so I'll say like, okay, that's $7,500 is the actual cash value. Then like maybe you have a $1,500 wind and hail deductible. So all of a sudden, you know, you're getting $6,000 at claim time to replace a $15,000 roof. So the insurance company covers 6,000, you cover nine. You know, most people don't like that, you know, when they could have had the same roof covered for $1,500 in that example, if they'd had a replacement cost policy. Yeah. And then there's... So there's actual cash value, there's replacement cost, and extended replacement cost. <clears throat> yeah, so extended replacement cost is a feature that most home insurance companies offer. It's It's been a while since I've seen a homeowner's policy that doesn't have something. Um, most of your captive carriers are going to do at least 20%. So, you know, let's say your house is insured for 200000 Well, if the 20% extended replacement that means they're going to pay up to 240 to replace your house, you know, and remove debris. Um, you know, on the other hand, like most of my insurance companies will do anywhere from an extra 25 to 50%. Um, occasionally, like we'll see a see an insurance company like we have you with that does guaranteed replacement. So once the insurance company's fine for with a replacement estimate on on your home. Like at that point, if you have a total loss, like they're going to pay whatever it costs to rebuild your home. So, so it wouldn't even be a case like where we're only going to do 50%. Like if it ends up being twice as much to rebuild your home, like they're going to cover it. So it's kind of the ultimate peace of mind is kind of the way I usually explain that. And I, you know, I think sometimes it's like kind of one of those provisions that people don't look at, you know, very hard because it, because I think a lot of times in general, people think their home is overinsured anyway. Yeah. But but the reality is, is like I will tell you that some of those carriers that do, you know, the additional 20 percent is it they used to offer guaranteed replacement. And there's a reason they don't do the guaranteed replacement, because it was costing them a lot of money, you know, and, you know, it, you know, you can kind of Google, you know, some of the wildfire losses out in California. Um, but there's major lawsuits going on out there where all of a sudden some of these houses we're underinsured by a million dollars and they can't put their house back and the homeowners are ticked off. Yeah. You cut, you caught me off guard. Um, I was thinking ours was extended replacement, but Hey, <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at my declarations right now. Yeah. You have guaranteed, you have guaranteed replacement, but most companies do extended replacement yeah. it, and it's a different version of it. Right. Because when we talk extended replacement, we're talking over and above the estimates rebuild your home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, it's just a better version of it. Yeah. And I thought it was 50% um, extended replacement. So I thought it was good either way, but guaranteed, let's do it, man. Yeah. Um, no, f interesting. Kind of, you mentioned that about California. I've got a buddy um, I was talking to recently. Uh, won't, won't say names here, uh, but he's a financial advisor out there. If he's listening. Um, he was telling me that uh, they live in Northern California and because of the wildfires that their home, um, that it was no longer insurable or that the 
to the price to insure it had just increased immensely. I think it was no longer insurable. And so they planted some pumpkins to get it uh, claimed as like a farm. Oh, wow. And so I think that was it. He'll have to correct me on that. But as a home, it was no longer insurable by itself. But they planted pumpkins (laughs) to be able to get it insured as like a farm. But the insurance premiums went up like drastically um, just to to be able to get it insured. Kind of to your point, crazy stuff going on, especially out there. It's a major issue out there. You know, sometimes we think about middle America, like, you know, we're not affected by wildfires and things like that. And maybe your home directly is not at a wildfire risk. But out in California, like it's a real problem and insurance companies are pulling out of the market because they've lost so much money. And I would tell you one of the things people don't think about here is, is when there's wildfire losses, like, you know, in Colorado or California and other places of the country, you do pay for it a little bit here because the reality is, is all those insurers out there, they all buy what's called reinsurance. So when they have like major losses, like a reinsurer is covering the bulk of that loss you know, and they have a deductible, like maybe they have a, depending on the size of the company, maybe they have a $50 million deductible or something to meet their reinsurance. But the bottom line is the more reinsurers pay out, like the next year when they have to renew the reinsurance, like reinsurance mm-hmm. rates across the board go up and everybody's paying for reinsurance just in their normal insurance rates. Yeah. The, the insurance carriers are basically buying insurance for the insurance. Exactly. So. Isn't, isn't Berkshire, aren't they a pretty big reinsurer? Yep. Yep. Yeah. They're a major reinsurer. Yeah. So it's like California is right next to the ocean. Can they not figure out a way to like pump in some of that ocean water to take care of? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's crazy. You some know, fire hoses or something. such major water problems and drought problems. And I don't know, you know, I've just read a lot of stuff like, in the future, not necessarily California, but like worldwide, like they eventually expect wars to be fought over water. No, okay. So, what water world is uh, Kevin Costner? That's, uh... <laughs> coming, coming back to life. Okay, that's a long time ago. Saw that movie. Okay. Um, I feel like I, I heard Dave talk about this in, in his lesson about guaranteed replacement cost, and you usually can't get it anymore unless it's for you know a home over half a million dollars or something like that. Is is there on 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 uh, more expensive homes? Um, are they still going with extended extended uh, replacement cost, or are they doing guaranteed replacement cost, or? So it really just depends on the market that you're in. Um, some, like, depending on what part of the country, and they may do guaranteed replacement. Um, if, let's say you're in a truly, like, high-value home, like, kind of million dollars and up, and, and that's cost to replace, maybe not what you paid for it, but cost to replace, like, usually that's the threshold where a, the affluent homeowner's market comes into play. And I would tell you, you know, from what I've seen, you know, those, <clears throat> almost all of those policies will have guaranteed replacement cost. Okay. You know, I mean, it's kind of like the way I explain it. It's like usually the best insurance money can buy and they kind of come up with every bell and whistle known to man 
you know, but people are also paying for it. You know, you pay more for those policies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's even things thrown in there for like, you know, like a kidnapping, you know, ransom award and stuff like that. You know, like, like they've just thought of stuff that you would have never thought like, hey, I might need that. Kidnapping. I'll give you my kids right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. No. Um, so yeah, kind of going into different policies. So your your most common type of owner, homeowner's insurance policy is an HO3 policy. So maybe talk about um, the most, there's HO3, what, uh, uh, HO5 is the most comprehensive, right? And then mm-hmm. HO8 is for condo. HO6. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I would tell you like in general, like that's probably something a little bit more for your insurance, you know, your insurance agent to be concerned with. I, you know, that's something I would expect an insurance person to know. It, that's pretty jargony for the average. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing I will tell you, like, I mean, because most homeowners policies that you'll see nowadays are HO3s, but the, the policies are endorsed to bet to like better coverage limits. You know, so you're going to have replacement costs in your contents. It just doesn't come standard. Like if you have an HO5, like it's just by definition, you have replacement costs and everything. But on the HO3s that most people are buying, like your agent has probably endorsed replacement cost coverage onto it. Yeah. And then I guess the HO6 for somebody that owns a condo. Talk about why they need that rather than an HO3. Yeah. so, So the biggest difference, like, you know, on a condo, you know, most condo associations, like they're going to provide the coverage for the structure, yep. you know, and probably build you back to like a shell. Your HO6 policy is what's going to cover the build out of your unit. So it's going to put your floors and your bathrooms and, you know, um, your countertops, you know, all, all that sort of thing to build out your unit. So I will tell you um, on an HO6 policy, like you're better off probably being a little high on coverage, you know, on those because you don't have the extended replacement cost that you do on a homeowner's policy. Okay. You know, so it's like, so if, if you kind of do bare minimum and it doesn't end up being enough, you know, then at a time of loss, like, you know, you end up either having to cover it out of pocket or you've got to kind of downsize what you're doing or scale back what you're doing. And it, and I would tell you like, like it is, it is really tricky you know, because it's like, even on the insurance side, like we don't have good replacement cost estimators, you know, for like condo units, you know, and so it really is kind of an educated guess. And and just from what I see in general, like I would tell you people probably keep that coverage a little bit too low, you know, okay. and, and the thing is, there's no margin for error on it. So, so you're better off adding an extra 25,000 or something onto it just in case, like, you're way better off having $25,000 too much than 25,000 too little. Cause it's, you know, at that point, like, you know, your cost, of, you know, the coverage difference, like, you know, you might be talking two, three bucks a month, like it's minuscule, but like, if you had to cover an extra 25,000 in a pocket, like you're going to feel that a little bit. Yeah. And, and I was going to say an HO six is going to be, the premiums are going to be cheaper than an HO three, right? Oh but, yeah. But yeah, you're cheap, but you're paying for, the uh the ho3 policy for the facility with your homeowners association dues or whatnot yeah, exactly so yeah um, it's all built in yeah so okay 
Interesting. I didn't know that about, about condos. So um, I guess last thing I really kind of wanted to touch on. So I've got my, my policy pulled up here. And so I don't know if there's maybe some things to point out here. Um, but if you're, if you're looking at your declarations, um, you have your different coverages. Coverage A is your dwelling. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe briefly just mention something about that. Yeah. So just so you know, um, your dwelling limit or that coverage A limit, really that's the limit that really drives the cost on your policy. So I know like all the time, you know, somebody say, well, I don't have this much personal property or I don't have this much in other structures. Like with most carriers, those coverages are literally just a percentage of your dwelling. So that dwelling number is going to kind of drive the cost of your policy and your dwelling limit. That's basically what the insurance company's estimate is to rebuild your home and remove debris. Like that's, that's kind of what, what they're looking at for that. So, and that, is, that literally is your, you know, like your physical, you know, your physical house, you know, the bathrooms, your, if you have a deck, like that goes into it, the garage, you know, just kind of the basic, um, you know, configuration of your, of your house, the square footage, like all those sorts of things kind of go, go into that calculation on what your rebuild would cost. Can, can we say I had a deck? <laughs> I, I guess that's a kind of another another point of clarification is so it might be covered for say two hundred and fifty thousand dollars let's say that doesn't mean if it only costs you know two hundred twenty five thousand dollars that you get the twenty five thousand dollar difference to make it two fifty right you know get get what I'm saying I would I would tell you it depends on the type of loss but I would tell you like you know. Both Missouri and Kansas are what's called valued um, policy states. So the insurance company has to pay you out the policy limit for certain losses, typically fire. Um, I've, I've read different things on like tornadoes. I think one state, it, they may have to cover, cover it up to the policy limit and the other one maybe doesn't. So, um, but yeah, they kind of, they've kind of done that because, you know, people complain about having to overinsure their houses and, you know, basically by state law in a lot of states around the country, they make them valued policy states. And it's like, you know, if you're, if you've paid for that extra limit, then they have to pay for it. But depending on the way the laws are written, some were written literally for fire and some were written more broadly than that. And so it could be tornadoes and other things. Okay. Now, I guess question for you. I don't know if this is silly or not, but so kind of the tornado instance, say my house gets demolished, do I have to rebuild at that specific location? You know, it, it depends, it depends on your company, you okay. know, and the policies, like usually on your, um, certainly on the affluent homeowners product, like you don't, you don't have to rebuild in those spot at that location. You know, if you want to take the money and build somewhere else, you can do that. Yeah. So that's probably kind of a case by case basis. Okay. That's interesting. So, you know, thinking over insure my house and then pray for a tornado, we can relocate. No. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> you have a pretty good policy, so I actually think you might be able to with that one. Oh, I'm I'm not praying for a tornado or anything, but um no. So I was always as a kid, I was always the one that wanted to go stand out the front door and watch. So I was never one that wanted to like hide in the basement. 
for tornadoes. Maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. But yeah, I, I watched up until a point, and then I'm like, okay, it's probably time to take cover. Yeah, yeah, no. So yeah, um, I'm not uh, the movie Twister. I'm not <laughs> jumping out of the uh, the bomb shelter, tornado shelter, trying to get a good look at the tornado that's swooping up over us, but. Um, yeah, I'm just interested in, you know, watching the sky and I think it's close. I, I've never had a close call with tornado, knock on wood. Um, never want to, but, um, Hopefully yeah. we never do. Yeah. So, um, we actually, uh, visited, have you, have you seen Twister? Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. We, when they were filming it. So my, my grandparents lived in Anthony, Kansas, which is close to the, Oklahoma border, um, I think seven miles and, uh, had family that lives in Tulsa. And so we went the back ways to get to Tulsa and we went through Wakita, um, mm-hmm. where, uh, uh, aunt Meg lives in the movie and mm-hmm. they were doing their filming there. And oh, so wow. we, we went and checked out the filming and, um, I guess they were using jet engines to make the sound of the tornado. Um, so yeah, it makes sense. That's yeah. what they say. It sounds out loud. So when the movie came out, I was all, I saw the filming of where this was being done and I thought it was cool. So, <laughs> that is pretty cool. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, so kind of going through the policy, some more Part B private structures. Um, yeah. So with most uh, most companies, you'll see other, that labeled as other structures. Okay. And that's 10% of your dwelling limit. And so that's going to be anything that's not attached to your house. So think about like a fence or if you have a gazebo or a kid's play set or, you know, a swimming pool would fall under that limit. Um, anything like that that's not not attached. And because that, you know, is standard 10 percent, you know, most of us in the city don't have to worry about it too much. But like, but let's say you're on the outskirts of town or you're on a acreage where you have an acre or two, you know, and maybe you have a shop building or some other sheds on the property. It is real easy if you don't pay attention to it, where all of a sudden it's like, you know, you don't have enough coverage if you were to have a tornado go through. So, so yeah, if you, you know, if you live in the city like we do, probably not a big, you know, a big concern, but, but in a situation like that, if you have extra sheds and things like, you probably need to bump it. Uh, what I'm, I'm assuming detached garage. Yeah, detached garage yeah. would fall into that as well. Okay. Yeah, that's a good example. I want one of those. So I, I like how you're laying that vision out for me, out on the outskirts of town, about <laughs> on an acre of land, nearest neighbors like a quarter of a mile away. Got my my detached garage slash workshop in the back. Sign me up. I know. I mean, I know so many people that have that dream and then they start looking for those properties and like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, I've, I've got a, what kind of turned me onto that was uh, some friends that lived down in Mission. Um, and we're talking, you know, in the city there, but older homes, mm-hmm. he had a detached garage um, that he set up, you know, a workshop and everything. And um, I like that. So my, my wife doesn't like garages in the front of the house. She doesn't uh-huh. want them to be a focal point. So maybe that's something we agree on. <laughs> yeah, she, she likes the traditional neighborhood design, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of some of those sorts of 
developments, you know, kind of the throwback, you know, where you have an alley in the garage, you know, you get tooth from the alley and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, we live in an older house because it has character. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and it's got a lot of stuff I've got to do to it. So, yeah. But you know, the thing I always say is like, you know, those parts of town are to this day still really popular, you know, when yeah. you think about Brookside and Waldo and, you know, there's some of those neighborhoods up here in Shoal Creek, you know, and then down at Lee Summit, you know, they've got some out there and it's, I mean, they're just desirable people kind of looking for that uh, kind of environment. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool that it's offered in the market. Yeah. We'll have to talk later about some of those places. So give me yeah. some ideas. Um, so part C, personal property. So, yeah, so personal property is obviously, you know, all your stuff. So think about your furniture and clothes and toys and TVs and all that stuff. So usually that limit, depending on the carrier, it's going to be anywhere between 50 and 75% of your dwelling limit. So I, I would say probably the biggest thing that people don't take into account is it probably more on renter's insurance than anything else. But like, if you had to go replace your wardrobe, it is really expensive to go buy all new clothes, you know, because, yeah. you know, I don't know if people are like me, but I typically buy stuff on sale or buy it on yeah. discount. You know, if you lose everything, like you don't really have that option. And so if you're going out and paying open market prices, like you can start really plowing through your limits in a hurry just on clothes. Um, do you need uh, a list of inventory? Yeah. So, so the thing I would tell you, I mean, there's certainly some online that'll help you inventory it. Like I'll tell you, like it's, it's not a bad idea to walk around your house and just kind of video, you know, things that you have just in case, you know, like worst case scenario, you, you know, you lost it all. Um, you know, at the time of loss, it'll depend, you know, some insurance companies will want you to produce a list. Other ones, they might just say, Hey, we'll just pay out the policy limit. It, it really just kind of depends on what happens, you know? Um, but if you had to pr produce it, like it's just a good idea to have some video to be able to validate, you know, some of the things that you have. Um, some of the things you might want to take into account is, you know, let's say you have some jewelry or something yeah. like that. Like, you know, you definitely want to schedule coverage on higher value items because your policy probably has a sublimit on it and that'll de depend on the carrier, but you know, like they might have a thousand to $2,500 limit on jewelry for that, for like for theft, for example. Um, and so you would want to schedule it, you know, for that reason, you know, and the other advantage is you'd have no deductible, you know, at a time of loss. So if I had my Nana's, you know, hundred thousand dollar piece of jewelry heirloom, um, want a special writer for that on the policy or, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Because, I mean, for sure, just because of the theft risk, you know, on something like that, nobody, you don't want to hear you had a, you know, $100,000 piece of jewelry that you just got $1,500 for. Like, that doesn't sit very well. Or if I try to say that I had a $100,000 piece of jewelry, the. <laughs> yeah, I want proof. Probably going to want a little proof on that one. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, moving on here. Uh, part F, we go from C to F. Uh, so your medical payments. Personal liability. Uh, personal liability. 
um, each occurrence. So yeah, so so really your medical payments and your personal liability, those sorts of things are going to tie together. Um, so let you know, let's say you know your kids have friends over to play and whatever they're playing football in the backyard, and you know somebody gets gets hurt and has to go to the hospital. So your medical payments, you know, can be it's no fault coverage, you know, that can be used to kind of pay for some minimal 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 medical costs. And kind of the concept behind it is is instead of that other parent being like really upset with you and saying, hey, I'm gonna go sue Kyle, you know, and I'm gonna try to get that five hundred thousand dollar limit you have, you know, the idea is, is like, okay, if you cover, you know, the trip to the hospital or whatever, or the, the emergency room, they might just let it go with that and doesn't develop into a lawsuit. So that's why your medical payments limit matters. Now, let's say you didn't have medical payments or you had such a minimal amount. Well, they might be really, really upset about it. And they say, Kyle, I want you to pay for this. And you're like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to pay for it. You know, well, they can file a claim against, you know, file a lawsuit against you going after you for liability. And then at that point, the insurance company has to investigate it, you know, and, and decide, do they think you were liable or not? And that takes a lot longer, you know, because they have to conduct a whole investigation versus with medical payments, you know, they don't. It's no fault coverage. And that's that's where the personal liability coverage would kick in, right? So first we'd start yeah. out with, so I've got 5,000. We're, we're analyzing my my uh, policy here on, on, the, on the podcast. So I've got 5,000 in medical payments to others for each person. So... Um, if we settled on that, they pay their medical payments. But if I said no, like you were saying, that's when it flips up to I've got five hundred thousand dollars of coverage and personal liability. Yeah, you still have liability. It's just it's just a slower process, and it has to be yeah. a more thorough investigation. And and all of a sudden, you know, they may say like they're really upset, and they're going to go, you know, Mike's got this on TV to go after you. <laughs> this is not an invitation for people to come over and trip on my front porch or something. Okay. Um, uh, I think an interesting thing uh, during COVID is a lot of people put in pools. Yes. Um, how's that going to affect all this? And yeah, same, I mean, same way, you know, your liability limits are so important. And I would tell you not only, you know, should you have the max on your homeowner's policy, you know, which is for most companies is 500,000. Some will do more than that, but you should have a personal umbrella policy if you have a pool. Okay. Because accidents happen around pools all the time, whether somebody drowns inadvertently, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and it could be as simple as a kid jumps, the, you know, jumps your fence because they want to go to the pool. They don't think you're home. Or, you know, let's say you got kids doing flips into the pool and they slip and all of a sudden they hit their head you know, they get seriously injured. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stories that people have heard with pools. And, and that's why, you know, you really want to make sure you have plenty of liability coverage. So how is that impacting premiums? So say I didn't have a pool during COVID, we, we put in a pool. Um, I'm guessing I need to tell you, I don't want to, I shouldn't slide that under the radar. No, you definitely want to tell us. Um, most insurance, with most insurance companies, they're going to look at it from a suitability standpoint. You know, they want to know, do you have a, you know, do you have a diving board? Do you have a slide, you know, and, you know, is it fenced? So, you know, assuming they're okay, you know, with your pool and in many cases, like they don't charge you anything extra from a liability okay. standpoint for it, but they just want to know because 
all of a sudden you put a pool in your backyard and it's not fenced, you know, and let's say your HOA didn't require it. Well, I can tell you insurance companies hate that. And like, like that would be enough with most of them where they're like, yeah, we don't want to insure that household. So, um, okay. but yeah, I, I wouldn't, I would never be worried about, you know, a pool driving your insurance cost high. It's just, you need to take out a little more coverage. And if you pick up an umbrella policy, you know, if, if it's your typical household that has, you know, two cars and a home, like, you know, for a million dollars of coverage, you know, you're talking 15, 20 bucks a month. Like it's, it's really reasonable, you know, and the, you know, and may, maybe an insurance company has a small charge for a pool, but I'm telling you, it's not much more than a buck or two a month, you know, so it, it's not cost prohibitive and it's just, it's just smart to make sure you got proper liability coverage in case something, something crazy happens. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, anything else you want to add about homeowners? I think, I mean, I would say like the biggest thing that I would tell people to pay attention to, especially, you know, if you're thinking about buying a house is to pay attention to the roof age. Okay. And the roof age in general is something in roof condition is something that insurance companies are really sensitive to. Um, usually once you get to 15 years of age, that's kind of their threshold for replacement cost coverage, Okay. Which is, you know, is really what I want people to have, you know, because it's, it protects you better at claim time. You're going to have a better claim experience and, and you should be happier when it's done. Um, <clears throat> but, but I will tell you, anytime you start approaching that, you know, 15 years of age, insurance companies tend to scrutinize the roof condition a little bit more, you know, I mean, if you had a brand new roof, like they may not even do a drive-by inspection of your house versus all of a sudden, if, it, if we put it at 14 or 15 years, it's probably almost a guarantee they're going to do a drive-by just to make sure the roof looks like it's okay. And <clears throat> so so 15 years is kind of the cutoff for most for replacement coverage. We had some insurance companies that will go, you know, closer to 20 if it's still in good condition. Um, one of the new things that I'm seeing is, is, some insurance companies are doing replacement costs at 15 years of age. And then once it's over 15 years of age, so it's starting in year 16, the policy provisions automatically flip the coverage to actual cash value. Oh, okay. okay. So um, like even if an insurance company normally did replacement cost, like I will tell you to always read your mail when your renewal comes out each year, because let's say insurance companies go through a period of time where you know, they have like a really rough stretch on property insurance where they're losing money. Sometimes, you know, flipping coverage ACV on older on older roofs is a change that they'll make and then they notify you at renewal. They don't change your current term, they change it at renewal. And so often, you know, people just don't read their, you know, don't read their mail. And then all of a sudden, three, four years later, that hail loss comes through, you know, and then, and then they find out, it's like, Oh wow, this insurance policy didn't pay the way I was expecting it to. Yeah, but I would tell you in general, like, you know, homeowners insurance companies are looking way for ways to control premiums. Yeah, and this is kind of one of the new trends that I'm seeing. You know, conversely, like, you know, let's say you go put a new roof on your house, like, absolutely make sure you tell your insurance agent, like, because I would tell you more insurance companies than not will discount your discount your roof for doing that. I mean, I had a, I had a buddy that I insure that just put a new roof on his house, it dropped his premium 600 bucks for a new roof. So, so nice. You know, if something like that had happened, he hadn't told me, you know, he's paying an extra $600 for no reason. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah. all these all these cool features. Can I say cool? All these features. <laughs> and this is why I have you. You're you're here to. Uh, and so trying to do this alone, I think um, to me it just makes sense to have an independent agent like yourself to to guide you through that process and make yeah. sure that you're being taken care of. Yeah, and I would say like from my standpoint, the reason I like what I'm doing is because like I mean. I, I do. I get to talk to multiple insurance companies. I see what they're doing. And then, you know, when people are coming in from other insurance companies, like, you know, we're usually talking about the coverage that they already have. And so, you know, usually I'm like, okay, well, you know, Kyle, why are you looking, why are you looking at this? And they might tell me like, well, they just, they didn't handle this claim right. Or maybe they flipped my coverage, actual cash value. I don't want that. You know, so a lot of times, like I could pick up on trends coming from other carriers in as well. You know, and so I, I really feel like I've got my pulse on the market and, and the changes that are coming in a lot of cases. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just, you know, just from listening to, you know, you're, you know what you're talking about. Um, so just that kind of, I think that kind of wraps up homeowners insurance. I don't know if we got a, just a few minutes left um, and I want you to tell everybody where we can find you. But renter's insurance, um, I mean, maybe I can handle this one. But if you're renting, get it. I mean, it, it just, uh, you know, you have your place broken into uh, fire, loss of use. Um, yeah. I mean, think about like a leak from upstairs. If you're in a multi-story apartment building, like, you know, you need your stuff replaced. Yeah. Right? Your landlord cannot insure your stuff because a key factor, a key thing is they don't have an insurable interest. I don't know if you want to hit on that at all, but, um, but. <clears throat> no, yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, that's really kind of comes what it comes down to is like who owns it. Yes. Yeah. So your stuff, it's your responsibility to insure it. Um, I will tell you one of the cool ways I've seen renters insurance kick in, you know, for a client benefit is I had people may not realize it, but like fires in apartment complexes are surprisingly common. I mean, way more common than like in a house. Yeah. And so anyway, I had a client insured that the fire was not in their unit, like their stuff, you know, didn't get, uh, didn't get burned or anything like that, but it was in a building, you know, close by theirs and the building got condemned. And so their renter's insurance paid to put them up in a hotel because they couldn't live in their apartment anymore. Okay. So put them up in a hotel until they were able to secure a new apartment. Awesome. Yeah. It's super cheap. Get it. If you rent, so yeah, easily fifteen bucks a month, and yeah, yeah, and you got protection. So awesome. Well, hey, I don't, I don't know if we've done this already, but why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? <clears throat> so, um, you know, I'm easily available by phone eight one six four seven nine zero five nine five. My email is Ryan at primeinsurancekc.com. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and. You can easily Google me, um, but uh, but yeah, I would love to connect with people. Awesome. You're on the Twitter. I am not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, so. I feel like people are missing out. Like I, sometimes <laughs> I have like a course on like how to enjoy Twitter, you know? Like, <laughs> like, like I feel like if you've got a sense of humor, like you've got to be on Twitter. Like, yeah. Twitter is a funny place. Sounds good, man. Well, hey, thanks for hopping on again. And uh, you take care. Have a uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry as Christmas. we say here. So, and right. uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. See ya.
Hey, you made it. Way to go. Thanks for listening to Personal Finance from the Hilltop. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to 2021. I have some ideas for future episodes of the show that I'm stoked about. Can I still say stoked? Is that still cool to say? I don't know. Whatever. Either way. Also, I have some rock star guests that I'm trying to get to make an appearance on the show. We'll see if I can get the deal done. But either way, we'll continue to bring you this podcast jam-packed with information you want to know about personal finance so you can equip yourself to make the best decisions for your situation. Now, if you'd like more information about me or Hilltop Financial Planning, you can visit hilltopfp.com, no dash. For links and resources mentioned in the podcast, be sure to check out the show notes, um, which also includes uh, our little fun facts. Also, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you get all the new episodes when they drop. Now, if you want to leave any five-star reviews, that's highly encouraged and greatly appreciated. Not sure exactly what that does for me, but hey, stars are good, right? You can find personal finance from the Hilltop on most of your major podcasting outlets, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. And we still need to get on Stitcher. Never done Stitcher, so we'll, we'll have to get on there. But you can also uh, find us on the website as well, episodes. At Hilltop, we continue to bring on new clients. So if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how we can help you find financial freedom, go to our website and click on Schedule a Call in the upper right-hand corner. We offer a free 30-minute introductory call. There's no sales pitch. It's just a conversation about you and what you're looking for and how I can help. Now lastly, the dreadful scary disclaimer that my attorneys on retainer want me to mention. Okay, let's be honest. I don't have attorneys on retainer. I don't even have attorneys. Bill Richmond is not on my payroll. This is what I was advised by my compliance group to disclose, and that is everything on this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion and is not meant to be taken as investment advice because I'm not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hilltop Financial Planning LLC is a state-registered investment advisor in the state of Missouri, but serves clients nationwide where exempt from registration. Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books. Signing off from the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill. Merry Christmas and have a happy new year.